The following is a Nightfall Media production. For more information, check out nightfallmedia.io. Star Wars Nightfall is a not-for-profit RPG actual play podcast set in the Star Wars universe. Nightfall claims no relationship with Disney, Lucasfilm, or any of their partners or affiliates. Nightfall can be found online at starwarsnightfall.com or twitch.tv slash starwarsnightfall. The following episode contains strong language and simulated acts of violence. Listener discretion is advised. May the force be with you. Okay, so we have a special episode of Star Wars Nightfall here today. Um, you guys know me, I'm Zach Som, I'm the Galaxy Master. Today we have Justin Chapman and Rob Hunter. Hey guys! Hello. Who have recently joined the campaign, I thought we would take a little bit of time to get to know them. So, first question, real easy. Talk to me about the first time you experienced Star Wars. Ooh... God, that so I was I had an older brother and I was raised in a family. My dad was a big Star Wars fan, anything science fiction. He was a big Trekkie. I was honestly raised not understanding why those two people didn't get along because that's just ridiculous. Like enjoy it all. But uh, no, I'm trying to think I had to watch them all. It was like when they announced episode one was coming out and I had seen like bits and pieces. Yeah. But that was uh, that my first like real memory of Star Wars would be sitting down and like watching them in the correct order four five six and then episode one came out and i had so many questions <laughs> still do by the way lucas um but no i think i honestly to everyone out there i think star wars at least when it started was the perfect example of clean storytelling and i feel like we got so convoluted since then yeah i could see that like back then like like you have maybe what Let's break down New Hope. You have the A storyline. Yep. B storyline would be what? Princess Leia that you clip to? I think that's it. I think the B is maybe Obi-Wan and Vader. That's like the room next to the A storyline. I know, but. But you know what I mean? Like they're, they're really, they tell a story and they do it well. They don't stop and explain everything. You can just enjoy it. And that was like, I honestly think that opened me up to so much like D&D because it's like, hey, here's some amazing, amazing tale that'll leave you with questions. Some will answer. Some will leave to your imagination. Yeah. Um, I have a similar experience. I had an older brother. I like the original. And um, kind of like you when the, the Phantom Menace was about to yeah. come I like rewatched. You're my age, right? I think so. Yeah, I, I just turned thirty-five. You got like a couple years on me, but yeah, same same difference. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. you're way less mature if that matters. I I'm way less. Mature. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to take that, but <laughs> it's a compliment. I promise you. I'm like ninety. I don't know how it happened. Ninety, but um, yeah, I watched them all, then watched the new yeah. ones, and then. Did you enjoy Phantom Menace the first time, like, being a kid even? Yeah, I think so. I think I did, too. It's so hard to look back. I do remember afterwards being super confused because, like, 
it's this the scroll calls them Jedi Knights, and then it's just like one's not a Jedi Knight. And I that was the only thing that really rubbed me the wrong way. That night I think that's because I was too stupid for any of the Trade Federation thing to really be like. Oh, yeah. it completely went over my head. Yeah. Until I was like in my twenties. Yeah. Which I think would have been fine if they just did a little like the Senate stuff trying to explain it. Was yeah. the second one Attack of the Clones? Yeah. They had a lot of Trade Federation in that and Actually, yeah, it's all I that felt, Senate I stuff. I think they felt the need to set up the Senate yeah. before we got to actually see the Senate. But mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. like you never imagine in a new hope if you're clipping to the rebellion, it would have made no sense. It would have been like, why do I care about the politics? No, they saved it for when it was relevant. Right. Yeah. But yeah. But yeah I liked Phantom when it first came out. I like the whole fight scene at the end. My yeah, my neighborhood. It was all kids within like four or five years of each other. Mm-hmm. And all of us went out and bought a lightsaber. And it was like, the, I can't believe no one got hit by a car. There was just like 30 kids running around. It was like half Darth Mauls and yeah. it was like blues and greens. And we just, yeah. I felt like that went on for days. Like you get home from school and then you're just like, I gotta, gotta yeah. get to my house and drop my backpack off. So I go drop Darth Maul. Okay, here's a question then. <laughs> Which lightsaber? Which lightsaber? Yeah. Like what color? Or blue, what green, time? or like when that era came out. Okay. Did you want the blue lightsaber, the green lightsaber, the Darth Maul? Darth Maul. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always wanted a green. Yeah, I was Qui-Gon. I think he's so... I mean, my favorite character hands on is Obi-Wan Kenobi, but not in Phantom Menace. Because uh, why was he in it? Right. Wow. What, what, no, it's the... the God, what is the... Mr. Plinkett's review. To anyone listening, if you haven't seen Mr. Plinkett's Star Wars review, yes, you have. The red light, me- red yeah, the red light media, red disc media, whatever the hell. It's that guy that sounds like this and makes fun. Of- what are you kidding me? I swear to God, I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh my God, we're watching that after this. Hands down, okay. it'll change your life. But he like, it's like a spoof making fun of it. But he yeah. goes, he does it as a character. It's amazing. But there's a comment where he's like, they, I may think it's that. I know it's that guy that said it. But he pretty much points out that they should have combined Qui Gon Jinn and Obi Wan Kenobi into one character called obi-wan kenobi because wouldn't that have been a great chance for obi-wan and anakin to get to know each other so you don't have that like face fucked conversation in the elevator where he's like take the here viewer accept our relationship in an elevator ride before we get to the top so dave filoni broke it down a couple of weeks ago no way and it was basically he was justifying that scene he was justifying that scene or not that maybe not that scene but the I take it back you've done good work he was justifying that qui-gon died and qui-gon and obi-wan had to be separate characters I could justify Qui-Gon being there, but Qui-Gon should have stayed on the ship on Tatooine and Obi-Wan could have bonded with Anakin. Yeah. That, that's, yeah. I think, the argument. Okay. We could have done that. No, I totally agree. I, I think Qui-Gon's awesome. Honestly, yeah. if you haven't seen Tales of the Jedi, check it out. It's a sweet origin story. Filoni well, was well, saying, basically, that uh, of him. Qui-Gon had to die because Qui-Gon was the influence that Anakin need, needed. The duel of the fates was not the fight between Obi-Wan and Maul. It was the fight between Qui-Gon and Maul. And because Qui-Gon lost, the duel of the face was lost, and that's what sealed Anakin going to the dark side. Oh. If Qui-Gon had survived that fight, Anakin wouldn't have fallen because uh, Qui-Gon would have been the mentor Anakin needed. Obi-Wan wasn't ready. It's pretty... That Honestly, that's a pretty good point. I still stand by the <laughs> fact that you should have established a relationship between Obi-Wan and Anakin. Yeah. Instead, you have that horrible Attack of the Clones scene they were, where he's just yeah. like... Yes, we're really good friends. Remember that gun dark nest? Huh. And it's like, no, none of us remember that, but we accept it. And then 20 minutes later, we're like, I don't think they like each other. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think they were in a gun dark nest once. They must like each other. <laughs> you know what gun dark nest is slang for? No, nah, me neither. I was just hoping you knew. Like, uh, that, that's not a literal thing, right? It's absolutely a literal thing. Oh, I thought it was a euphemism. No. Like, 
Oh, it is. Come on, those guys. Gundarks? They're in um. They're in that. Oh, one they game. were in the Gundark nest. Together. They're in that one game. They're in the New Republic, the MMO. Gundarks, Gundarks. Oh yeah, they're, they're some big monster. They're like a pterodactyl looking thing. I think if that's what I got in my I head. Think so yeah, yeah. So there's that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So you guys were both in the campaign that happened like a decade ago. Oh gee. Yeah. Why don't you talk about the characters you guys played in that campaign <laughs> and how that campaign has had an influence both on you as a storyteller and as a TTRPG player. So please, Justin, would you begin because you have one of the greatest characters out of any Dungeons and Dragons or role playing game campaign that I've played. I still tell stories like when I'm starting a new adventure group, I tell stories about like your creepy almost method-esque portrayal of him he was amazing and as a cameo that you guys might have missed he's actually is like my first D character ever made really yeah because i never played you were new to D- i probably knew that at some point but that's insane yeah and uh so yotan nexus yes number, the legend the man the myth one. the legend <laughs> the man and, uh, i just a drunken pilot that doesn't remember to call more so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my god he just commanded a scene. You were... <laughs> I don't even want to s- compare you to anything because it really wasn't an homage of anything. But you had that, like, indescribable Jack Sparrow thing yeah. where if you did something awesome, it was so cool. And if you fucked up, it was so cool. <laughs> like, no matter what happened, you were just so captivating cinema- yeah. cinematically. You had an ability to take control of a scene in a way I had never seen. Yeah, I seriously... My favorite moment is... Us crashing the Star Destroyer. Oh, my God. That was great. Because, yeah, so background, I'm sure I'm missing some of the details. We're all aboard an Imperial Star Destroyer, and we're not Imperial. We are, like, trying to get off of it. And did you crash into it? You crashed into another one, or did you crash into the ground? That's, yeah. yeah. So... And we're all fighting. We're all like leaving, and I don't know if we sidetracked to the bridge for something. Or I think the final fight against like the commander of the Star Destroyer was on the bridge. Yeah. So then we're all preparing to leave, and we turn, and Yotan's just like clicking his seatbelt and sitting down, and we're like, "What are you doing? You can't steal this thing. Like we can't fly it, and it's full of." And as we are trying to figure out what he's doing, he just presses down on all the controls and it just slow tilts and we're like genius absolute genius i don't know how we escaped but well, i mean you I tilted it autopilot and then we oh, yeah, yeah. or i think you drove it until gravity took hold and then we ran yeah so we were literally like heading out like the the uh launch bay car i want to say cargo bay but that's not the Thank you. Okay, it's not just me. I wasn't sure if Zach's look was that I'm an idiot and I should know the term, or if... It's not a cargo bay, it's a a launch bay. Shuttle bay. Shuttle bay. That's, yeah, shuttle bay is probably the right word. Something like that. But yeah, that was Yotan Nexus. I played two that I remember. I think it was just the two. I think it did... At first, I played Case. So, there was was, was a... That first mini campaign. Yeah, there was a campaign before the campaign. Yeah, so at the time... um, Spoilers, if you're not caught up on the the campaign so far, go back and catch up because there are spoilers here. At least up to episode 13. I don't know. I feel like we might have mentioned it in 14 in our banter. But either way, um, don't watch 14 without 13. And if you get to 13, you're probably safe in the spoilers. But Case Baradin at the time was nothing like the Inquisitor that we met in the last couple episodes. Um, He originally had a similar storyline where he uh, started out as a Jedi but 
at the time he just didn't take to it or he had a problem with their kind of uh, almost like cult like taking kids kind of thing. Yeah. And he ended up leaving the order of his own accord and tried to travel and make his way around the galaxy. And just he had been trained since a child to pretty much be a defender and soldier. So he ended up joining up in the Republic Army. And that was shortly before the clones showed up and made him almost obsolete. And at that point iteration of him he was like a officer or something because i was i'm kind of modeling like you lauren i took like the noble class and jedi combination yeah and i was all about using like force tricks and like controlling the battlefield from the back and uh that campaign fizzled out no i think we ended it no we've short we fizzled out but it was maybe 10 sessions in. like it was longer than most sessions that fizzle or most campaigns that do fizzle out and i so when we jumped back up is that when i switched or did I start back up with Case? No, I think you started with Guan Yu. Yeah. yeah. So a character that secretly we've all been hoping Zach crosses paths with. And I'm not going to lie, me making my new character as a doctor was definitely propaganda to hopefully maybe see Professor Dr. Guan Yu one day. <laughs> that was the best version. He couldn't remember which Mr. was. Mr. Dr. Been. Professor. Mr. Dr. Professor Guan Yu. And Guan Yu was... Uh, I'm, yeah, I think I, I did start as because he was pivotal in the storyline. Yes. Because we started out with, which if I describe to you now, would hauntingly sound familiar to Bad Batch almost. But Oh, my it, God. So we were, I'm sorry to interrupt. No. When we were. Always suspected foul play there. When we were, um, when we were preparing this podcast, I went to Payton and Rich originally. I was like, this is kind of the idea I'm thinking about. And they're like, cool, we're on board. Sign us up. And I went home that weekend and I was like, I'm going to do a little bit more research. I haven't you know, quite been as involved in Star Wars as I had in the past. So I went and watched The Bad Batch and I watched like the first two episodes and I texted Peyton and Rich. I was like, we have to completely replan yeah. everything we had for the prologue because that's what I wanted to do. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so so basically our the the adventure hook was similar um, I think we played a, like a couple sessions before 66 happened, though, didn't we? That was the pre-campaign. And we like we knew going into the pre-campaign um, that it was going to end at Order I mean, 66. Any campaign with clones in it, you know where it's going. Yeah. So we played and we were Sigma Squad. Um, and we went on these little missions for Jedi Master Minato. Very similar to all that. Um, Susie was not a character. Um, that was pretty much... I don't think even know if Kyle was there at that point. No. Yeah, because you were uh, so like odd. Yeah. Um, but we were all playing clones, and then when Order 66 happened, there was, like, various reasons. I think Soli God was said to be, like, the first clone, so he didn't have that inhibitor chip. And part of the storyline was that one of these Kaminoans, who was Mr. Professor Dr. Guan Yu, um, was not one to conform to the typical Kaminoan, that, like, Vulcan demeanor that you see in all the movies, which I honestly don't know if that's me just wanting to take liberty with the character or if I just didn't do my research on how Kaminoans behave. I don't think there was a ton of media other than the movie Attack of the Clones about the Kaminoans. So, Guan Yu is literally just an old crotchety man that complains and, and moans about everything. And... I, it was part of his research that he was opposed to, like, brainwashing the clones. So I think that played into him helping us get rid of them. And so, then Order 66 happened and we well, pretty think, much had the bad batch. I think what happened was back when we played, the inhibitor chips weren't a thing. Oh. Like, that was not part of canon. And it, it was kind of insinuated that they were all just, they were genetically manipulated to be easier to convince. That's yeah, that sounds about right. And that Soliak and I think one other guy in the campaign weren't like that. They were just pure 
clones of Django Fett. Yeah. And that was Sully. So when Order 66 came around and they Sorry, had to make that choice, like half the group was like, no, this is what we do. We kill the yeah. Jedi. We listen to our orders. And the other half were like, these guys have been on our side for three years now. We're not going to fucking turn on them. Yeah. Yeah. Which, not even saying that Bad Batch stole anything, because I feel like anyone setting a campaign in the Clone Wars being clones, you totally want to go through Order 66 and find a way to resist it. Right. But, uh, also, we just want our royalties. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, it was, I mean, it was a hell of a campaign. But, uh, I don't remember when we added in Case again. So, what happened was, as we're playing this campaign, we're maybe, we're a while in there, we're like 15 sessions in. We've kind of got a feel for our characters, and I think you were kind of unhappy with. Yes, like because you even brought that up with uh, with Doctor Mimi that yeah. I was doing the same thing again. I think I matured. When it came to Guan Yu, you weren't happy with how he was developing. Like you got three or four levels in, you're like, I don't really like this build, and I don't think I can correct it. I built an NPC. Was what yeah. I did. I built a character that, like, because that's the difference with Nimi is that, like, he's not useless in combat. Like, I scored a hit and I can boost my allies and stuff. Yeah. And Guan Yu was, like, taking absolutely terrible shots from the background. And when non-combat rolled around, he was great. Didn't he have a lightsaber? Because I remember, didn't he make one? Or? He had one at some point. He I collected don't anything that was fascinating and mechanical. It sounds like something I, I would do. If I had one, it was probably, like, a Shoto that I used as a tool more than anything. I don't remember. But, yeah, so when Case came back, after Order 66, his kind of perspective on the whole thing was that like he never was fond of the Jedi Order. He was never the the angsty Inquisitor that we've reinvented him at as much as I love this version. Um, but the first time around he kind of still had that respect for the people that raised him even though he didn't want the path they had envisioned for him. Um, but he thought he might be the closest thing to the last Jedi. If they all are really dead, then he's the closest thing. And in that way, he felt obligated to try to carry on that tradition. Um, and that's when uh, my NATO took him on. And Kyle was in the picture about the same time, whatever launched that. But uh, eventually I almost felt bad because you're DMing and we went through this huge arc where like I got to like build a lightsaber at the end. And I was like, Nah, I'm good. <laughs> and it was so funny, but I had taken a little bit of like Terrace Kasai already. Terracasi? I don't even Terrace Kasai. I've always gone Terrace Kasai. Okay. I think I don't know. Yeah, so Terrace Kasai is like the Kung Fu of the Star Wars universe. But I had taken a few feats that made me better at fighting hand to hand. And what I realized is that I kind of took on this perspective of if the Jedi died out before, how can I be better? Not just keep them alive, but what can I bring that I had to offer? And there's a little bit in the uh, the the Ode to the Inquisitor that kind of touches on the fact that Case was discontent with the the ways of a lightsaber, and that was very much him. The lightsaber was a weapon that like horribly maimed your enemy, like especially when there there's like references in all. I mean, I don't know if canonically, but there's references to like training sabers and stun sabers, yeah. and we're instead like rending the limbs off things and it burning them from the inside as they get impaled. It just seemed like such a Sith weapon that I uh, devoted myself to being a like a Shaolin monk of the Jedi, and then eventually I came across the power of force convection. And became an absolute hypocrite who's power hungry. Um, <laughs> I don't think he saw it as that way. Like, I wasn't really torturing people with it. That was like, you, as, if I needed to really drop someone. As Case, you were the moral compass of the group. Yeah. Mm -hmm. More so than anyone. Yeah, like, the I equivalent of, like, like when you kill the enemy because you know that you can't let them escape. That was what Convection was for. Although it looks so good on Inquisitor. <laughs> it's such an Inquisitor power. <laughs> Oh, yeah. yeah, that's that's pretty much case. And then, oh, dude, we got to keep carry on and do the finale of that one. 
What do you mean? The 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 fight at the end against the emperor. Yes, we all have frozen. <laughs> Not all of us. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I'm just jumping into it because it was like Casey's proudest moment. I I also have a hesit a tendency, not hesitancy, a tendency to make like martyr characters, yeah. where I develop a character and then I start looking ahead to try to finish the character arc yeah. but when i'm a when I'm, I'm often a dm so when i'm a player i get too focused on the narrative and the only way i can really take control of my own narrative is to like recklessly kill myself yeah. in a scene where i know it'll have weight because i don't know what's around the corner so although i stand by it i think it's it was one of my favorite scenes we're fighting and i imagine it was a little bit of dungeon master mercy that as we're getting our absolute asses handed to us, the emperor brought forth like a bunch of carbon freezing chambers to pretty much allow us the chance to surrender. And my only assumption is that he would parade us around as trophies of what happens to people that form an insurrection or rebellion. That's probably a better word. But our whole group jumped out. Like, I'm sure, I don't even remember. What was Yotan's reaction? Did you? I'm sure you were like first one in <laughs> He probably said, well, I guess there's no other choice. <laughs> of course, you know, as Yota Nexus, there's no chance you're not getting out of there. Right. Like, you no. just are. So Kyle and Case refused, and they kept fighting. Yeah. And knowing that we were not going to make it, Case force-pushed Kyle into it and told him that the Jedi had to survive. And then I went down fighting like a... Kind of like a bitch, but... Yeah, yeah. you got wrecked. I got destroyed, but... It was a, it was a hero's yeah. death. The campaign ended with everyone being frozen carbonite except for you. And yeah. my intention was that everyone that was frozen in carbonite would come back as an NPC or as a player in a sequel campaign that we never did. But I will say, my thought process wasn't just to kill off the character. It was that if there's any means to become a force ghost. <laughs> no, for real though. Like you guys were frozen in carbonite. At least I could watch the galaxy. Yeah. And when you thaw out, I would be there like I had all this time to master this force bot. Quite did that in like what, 20 years? Yep. No. Is it two movies, 40? 10. 10 years? Yeah. Okay. It shows up at the end of the old one. So, oh, I guess uh, 10, 20-ish. 20. It's like okay. 17, but yeah. Yeah, I, I just assume that. It's yeah, like 20 years. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so I uh, was planning on keeping an eye on the galaxy. So when you showed up, I could be like, there's this happening. There's that happening. There's this happening. And it just, we never got that far. No. But Case is back now. Case is back now. And so when we did the prologue episode... Uh, we recorded everything as it was and I was working on it the next two days just editing it down and I had come up with the Inquisitor before I determined who it was oh really yeah so he got that role by being left behind yes beautiful and I was so excited that I texted everybody in the group but I was like I, I finished editing it I was like guys I think Case has to be the Inquisitor and they're like Oh, no, it makes so much sense. I was like, he's a guy that didn't finish his training in the force. He has a bone to, you know, what the fuck's the phrase? He's a bone to pick. He's got a bone to pick with the group that left him behind. And he was left behind. Like, Palpatine's going to find him. He's absolutely going to become the Inquisitor. Yeah. And I hate I like I hate it because that was so far from the intention of the original version of Case. But at the same time, it worked perfectly for this story. Oh, Absolutely. No, honestly, I think that's the perfect, like, because the convection makes so much sense. 
And that's still when, when the first fight with the Inquisitor, because I was still just a viewer at the time. I think by the time yeah. we had gotten to the first fight with the Inquisitor, we're like, yeah, it's Case. Yeah. Well, he, um, I mean, he lit up his fist like, yeah. when he was uh, killing Redar. Yeah. Yeah. He lit up his fist. I was like, I really hope Rob listens to this. Yeah. I was like swerving on the freeway. I'm like, hires a screen. No, that was awesome. Okay. So what is it about like a TTRPG as a storytelling medium that you enjoy? Stay with us. We'll be right back. The cast here at Nightfall Media is proud to present our Patreon, a place to create new experiences while exploring our past journeys. With content like the Rancor's Pit, an after show where the cast breaks down the most recent episode, and an inside look to the cast outside of the show. See the cast you love put on a show in other TTRPG systems. Listen to them as they play as scoundrel pirates in Pirate Borg. Or listen to them as classic adventurers in D&D 5e. Furthermore, the cast has loads of ideas for your own TTRPGs at home. Try out one of Rob Hunter's fully written out characters or visit Payton Castle's vault of magic items. A handful of shows for your viewing pleasure and take home goodies for your own TTRPG adventures. All of this for just $3. Still hungry for more content? Join our Discord server where you can interact with other fans of the show, get notifications of when the cast streams, and updates on Nightfall Media directly from the cast. Hope to see you there. Oh, that's a good question. I like the choices you have. Mm-hmm. There's so many choices that you can uh, make. <laughs> like, I also like the, the how much detail you can put into it. Like, I guess it depends on your DM or whatever. But like, you can just like have like a huge world with everything. Yeah, that your mind can think of. I don't yeah. Know. Um, even if we're like in the Star Wars universe where like a lot of the stuff's already there for you, I feel like you still have like a lot of options you can go through. And it's I don't know. I think that's probably my favorite part. I mean I like I like playing with other people too. Yeah. <laughs> in a group setting. But yeah, I like all the choices you got. Yeah, that's a tough one. There's so much. I'd say probably my first pull to it was that kind of incredible open world feeling that you can't get from many things, even video game. Like, I mean, my bread and butter is like the elder scroll stuff. There's still a limit. There's still that edge of the map. Mm -hmm. And I think that not even just for entertainment or for fun, but like getting into a game that really challenges your imagination and your creativity is something we're not taught anymore. Yeah. Like I've played with so many people over the years that sit down for their first time to play and it's just, what do I do? Yeah. And it's like, well, who are you? Tell me, tell me about yourself. And then like, listen to what you're saying. And who would that, what would that person do? And they're like, no, I don't understand. Like, do I roll dice? Do I, is there a board? Like, it means sometimes yes. And sometimes no, it's just that absolute freedom. And it's also like such an incredible process because really when you get down to it, what we're doing isn't really a game. It's not so much about winning and losing. And I think that's where a lot of people get so fed up with like a character death being this weird, awkward thing and DMs getting too lenient about like situations or nudging the dice. 
But like when a character dies, like think of TV shows. If you really go back to some of your favorite TV shows is my guess. If no characters ever die, it probably sucks. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it's it's so many shows, like especially early on, I'll kill off a character because an absence of a character can tell such a great narrative. Yeah. But that's I, I think we're sitting here on a table and we're all helping tell a story. And, like, that's something that goes back to, like, the roots of humanity. That's, like, what first brought us together is coming together, learning language, and, and sharing mythos and things. Around a campfire. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's, it's something fundamental in yeah. us. And I think not just sharing stories, but being a part of them. And not only that, but being a part of any story you want to tell. Mm-hmm. And that's why, like, I, I go back to what I was saying earlier about, like, writing my own character's deaths. It's just, like... We all have this part that's just ours. The DM can tell you, you can't do this, you can't do that. But, like, at the end of the day, like, you choose where your character goes. You choose what we do. And I, the stuff that happens is just absolutely incredible. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like sharing old, we're literally sitting around here sharing old war stories of Yotan Nexus crashing a Star Destroyer. Oh, just incredible. Core in the eye. Oh, my God. <laughs> that, that one needs, that one. So... The rule of which we still pretty much follow that when you, when you kill something with a crit, don't we? You typically, if you kill yeah. something with a crit, you determine like. So when you roll a critical hit and it is the killing blow, it's always been our tradition that you describe how it happens, and that makes so much sense that Yotan was your first character too, because the first time you did this, we were fighting a rancor, and all of us were like, "Oh my god, this is gonna be so cool!" He's like, <laughs> "What do you do?" And you just go, uh, "Shoot him in the eye." I can't do it. You have to. <laughs> That's shot him right in the <laughs> <laughs> Like he had all of our attention. It was just beef. But it made it that much more badass because we were expecting this like overdrawn out flourishing tale. And you're just like another fucking Tuesday and shot a rancor mad. It was so cool. We were sitting on the carpet in my living room and it was just we all burst out laughing as soon as you said it, it was like, yeah, there's nothing more Yotan than. Yeah, it was just <laughs> just efficiency. Get it done. Get to the cantina. So what keeps you guys coming back to like D&D and Pathfinder and TTRPGs? Okay. Is it just because I keep inviting you guys? (laughs) No, I I mean, I'll always show up for yours. You're probably the best dungeon master. Yeah, I I would say you're the best dungeon master. Yeah. No, I I think it's because I dungeon master myself most of the time. I, I think it's because... I have a fascination, like on the mechanical level, I, I love board games. I play all kinds of stuff. This is still my favorite type of tabletop because like there are the rules and I do very much enjoy like looking through a rule book, seeing all the rules. I, uh, I always try to do a combination of like how they can interact to make me a, a good player. But also like when I level up, I make sure that whatever feat or talent I take yeah. reflects my journey up until that point. And I think that challenge that's creative challenge i mean an artist at heart for me it's always like the creative challenge and there's there's nothing that puts your mind to the test like dungeons and dragons does yeah i kind of yeah i can see similar see what you're saying like they should teach this in schools and i'm not joking like for real yeah i didn't even get a creative writing class growing up there's a girl in my um one of my other D groups she's a teacher out in california and she runs a D club for her students i mean the mathematics the planning there's so much conflict resolution yeah, honestly, you're right. Yeah. How to deal with bullies. As long as the three feet tall, green skinned and don't really speak basic. You know what I mean? Basic. I just like how I mix games there from common to basic. Gotta avoid the mind goblins. Yep. Yeah. yeah. The mind goblins? Mind goblin these nuts. Oh, oh, god damn it. I took the bait. Oh. 
I felt myself moving on and I'm like, no, people are listening. You can't pretend you know what this means because someone will ask them. <laughs> Shit. But, yeah. I want you to know for the next three weeks when someone says something I don't understand, now I'm just going to be like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, well, I cut you off. No, I was just saying, I don't... What keeps me coming back is a good question. I like... I think it's just like you were saying, the creativity. Yeah. Just like... So, looking at you, too, you change so much when you go into character. <laughs> you know what I mean, though? That's something that I, like, I can never break. You don't play a character. You embody a character. Yeah, that's what I was saying earlier. Like, when I picture you play, like, you're like a method. Like, <laughs> even, like, you drop the dice and stuff, and it's always like, oh, god damn it. Like, like, you stay in character, and that's something that I wish I could do better. It's... I- I don't know. I like, I like. I think people use the I term like escapism <laughs> to draw to, to uh, describe D anD D, and I don't think that's fair. Yeah, I think it's just because, it, like, and by that logic, a vacation is escapism. But those are healthy. Like, you need breaks from everything, mm-hmm. ourselves included. You know what I mean? We can take a second and not worry about anything. Only thing we have to worry about is a twenty sided dice for the next five seconds, right? And it's fun. Yeah, and the turn order. No, that's the DM's job. I don't track initiative. <laughs> I usually delegate that out to somebody else. Yeah. No, that's the way to do it. Yeah. But yeah, I like I like being the characters, just like just thinking like what would what would I do if I was that character? I just try to like Okay, so we know your first through. character ever was Yota. I'm asking a question apparently. Is that before yeah. for? So your first character was Yota Nexus. Mm-hmm. What was your first character? It was in your campaign. Mm-hmm. You this is when I first started hanging out with you guys. So it was like... Airborne? No, it was before that. It was maybe like senior year of high school or um, the summer between senior year of high school and freshman year of college. Is it a half one? You had, no, you had just gotten fourth edition. Oh, let's change the topic. <laughs> <laughs> my first time I ever... I found those in my basement. There's, how? How do you stumble upon a game that had come out like six months earlier? No, I said just like just now I found them at my base. Oh, really? And I was like, why did these make the move? That's hilarious. Oh, it was in the box where I found the your manual. Okay. Like your crazy dungeon master tone. Yeah. So yeah, sorry, what? it was um it was fourth edition and you had had like the player's uh, handbook two. And I found a race in there and a uh, class in there specifically because there were two other people using the normal player's handbook. I was like, I want to do something instead of sitting yeah. here. So I created a Deva Avenger named Phoenix. And he had lived like a thousand lifetimes. I miss Deva. Devas were cool. They're in fifth edition as like um, a monster like, species. Yeah, and I don't think there's a character template for them. Yeah, you can't really I play guess them. You backwards and yeah. Um, but I was super annoying about it because I, I had never played D before i was like i want to make this kind of interesting so i was like every now and then i'll roll a d20 and it comes up a one i get like plagued by a past life and i attack whatever's next to me and it always happened to be castelli <laughs> oh that's brutal we made it like four sessions and then we stopped playing yeah. um and then i think the next campaign i played was the pre-campaign with where bfm was running it and i was playing yeah. solik and you were playing case yeah jeez I didn't make it far before I just started DMing and never playing again. It's a different kind. Yeah. If you are a DM, find out early. Yeah. Like even to anyone out there that is a player in a campaign, if more than once every couple sessions, it thought crosses your mind, I really strongly urge you just to take a leap and give it a go. And that's what I did. Because it is such a great experience. BFM actually was the one running our original campaign, not just the pre-campaign, but he was running our normal one and I was a player. And we got like four or five sessions in. I was like, I want to try DMing. I've never done it before. I would like to try one. 
And I, <laughs> I remembered like, so you guys are all shock troops basically. And I tried to recreate seal team six, taking down Osama bin Laden <laughs> and you guys broke into a compound and you were trying to kill an Imperial moth. It was basically the same thing. It was like, you're going to rush in there and you know, like you've got two minutes before the whole thing ends. And I had so much fucking fun. I was like, well, I can't do anything else again. Yeah, forever DM. <laughs> it's that's my thing is when I switch back to playing, I have to work to keep myself engaged because I'm so used to having so many characters I struggle with that them. I get bored of doing a single voice for too long or I get bored of the same thing too long. So uh, if you're listening to this out of order and you've already seen like five episodes down the row when I run into a room as a surgeon and get my head blown off, you'll know it's because <laughs> I'm an idiot. <laughs> jokes, jokes on everyone else. Oh, yeah. I didn't even. So I played there was a couple kids in my sculpture class that I didn't really know. I think it was the first time actually hanging out with them outside of school. And we hung out a few times, but uh, they were going to play D&D and I had nothing that day and. In hindsight, my parents never knew where I was. I just went where I Total latchkey kid. Um, I turned out all right. All right. It turned out okay. Um, but they invited me over to play, and I, like, had no idea what it was. Like, I had heard of Dungeons & Dragons, but I was expecting, like, more of, like, like a risk kind of thing or, like, a board game where you'd move around, like, Axis and Allies or something. Yeah. And they did not play with a battle map that I remember. Maybe they did. No, I don't think they played with a battle map, which I, I think was a great intro. I think that a lot of nowadays, like there's nothing wrong with a battle map, but I think they're strongly overused. Yeah. Um, I'll get back to that in a second. Um, but I was a sorcerer and this was three, five. Uh, this is before Pathfinder even. So I was a sorcerer and of the draconic bloodline. And I, I like they, every character in this campaign had something off about them. So I, I never found out, but I was pretty sure like our fighter was like a werewolf kind of thing because there was like moon references and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I, maybe I'm mixing up campaigns. So I think that was the one. But he let me. It was like in front of everyone too, so they all knew. I just didn't know what they were. He let me choose like what you wanted to be part, and I was like a uh, dragon. So I was like a half dragon, dragon blood sorcerer, to where I had like a few scales like on my yeah. cheek, and like once per day I could manifest wings and fly mm-hmm. for like a minute, like the fly spell. And it was before Dragonborn. Well, I, actually, that's not entirely true or factual. I don't know. It was before 4th edition added Dragonborn as a player race. They may have been NPCs. Mm-hmm. Like a monster manual creature. But that's why when 4 came out, I was like, Dragonborn. And then I played it. And I was like, nah, this yeah. sucks. <laughs> oh. Oh. I can taste 4th edition right now. Watch that with the whistle. Why is it so bad? Though? So it, it took a very fun game called 3.5. Oh. Um... And it it tried to do what fifth edition did. It tried to make it simpler. So it, I don't think that was its mistake. It's it, the problem is it came out when World of Warcraft was yeah. booming, and they tried to emulate the structure of a dungeon or a World of Warcraft dungeon where you need these classes. It's yeah. efficient. Like you, you it's fast. A healer. You needed a tank. You needed a DPS, and you needed a controller. And if you were missing any one of them, it became a fucking slog. But. And this is something that pissed me off too, because like. We DMs have been doing the minion tactic for a long time. Minions is like yeah. a, a thing in D&D where you have like a boss to a fight and he's got like 15 guys with him. But the obnoxiousness of having to like hit each one, like if they have 8 HP, you're probably dropping them in one hit. But if you're not, it's like, oh, my God, this is tedious. So you give them all one HP. Who gives a shit? But in the monster manual for fourth edition, like half the stuff was minions with one HP. And it's like, dude, I can just remove their health. Please give me the full stat block to the creatures and I'll just say they have one HP. What are you doing? 
But yeah, that, that was, there was a lot of things in that, that I don't even know if they tried to simplify it or if they tried to make it move faster. <laughs> they, they tried to mimic World of Warcraft. Yeah, they did. They had daily powers and counter powers and at will powers. And that was yeah. it. Dailies. Yeah, there were dailies and counters and at wills. And I will say, I think there was something to that structure. Yeah, I I didn't hate 4th edition, but because it was the first thing, I had nothing to compare it to. Yeah. Like, I think if I yeah, went back to it like now, I'm not sure. Pathfinder, or I know that, like, it's not a lot. Pathfinder and then the Saga edition that we're playing. Pathfinder's based off 3.5, and this is based off that as well. But there's more math. Yeah. And I think that it sounds dumb, but doing that, like when you level up, it shouldn't be like I, I get to make one. I choose one spell. Yeah. Like there's if you're a fighter, dude, you go levels up making a choice. Right. And that's something that I think is lackluster in 5e. But backgrounds, uh, character flaws. And that, that's incredible. That I think backgrounds are more important to a character than a class. Oh, hands down. Yeah. Um, where was I going? What I like about Saga Edition, what I like about 3.5, is that you can RP characters purely through the mechanics you pick yeah. when you level up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I can see that, yeah. The, the kind of like, skills are like if you look at a, two character sheets for Rangers in 5th Edition, even if they've not played by the same person, you could be like, oh yeah, that makes sense, that makes sense. They're basically the same. But you could build two scoundrels in Saga Edition and they're nothing alike. Yeah. Hell, my, I, I could have, like, a noble with crazy high, yeah. like, reflex defense if I wanted to work it out. But, it, yeah, it, that's it. I think it's the control. And I enjoy the creative process yeah. in, like, building the character. Yeah. Thank you, Yota. And it also, <laughs> it also breeds the kind of... The newer player has this flaw that I'm a little unforgiving of, where you sit down to... Actually, this is going to strike at you, and this is not how I intend it. Where when you sit down to play, and they go to make an attack, and they're like, what do I add? like that, that's not what you're doing you literally are just in your own little Justin world I know that but like there's a lot of people that genuinely get so far in without knowing the rules at all which in a way can be a gift I recommend anyone that's playing to try to forget the rules more often just not the mechanics like if you're in so many fights people get hung up with like I have a bonus action I have a move action I have a standard act or a, a, yeah standard action and like if you just stop before you do any of that just think about what you, you say. I have six seconds. What would my character do? And then mold those actions to fit. Even ask the DM because if what you're doing is something that could be done in six seconds, a good DM shouldn't say no. Right. That, that'd be ridiculous. Be like, oh, can I pull out a piece of paper, light it on fire and toss it into the room where all that gunpowder is? Yeah. I don't know what goddamn actions that would be, but of course you can. That would take about six seconds. Yeah. And I think that taking that at the beginning of a turn, which is something that I think new players did bring to the game. Is that because the game is so loose and they're not familiar with their character sheets? Is that they're more like in the narrative? But that's yeah. I think born of like the backgrounds, which genius. Yeah, I'd always try to. Thanks, Jeremy Crawford. <laughs> trying to think about what I would do with that amount of time, like my character. Yeah, like, yeah. Because I, I was like, oh, this is this is going by really quick, but at the same time, it's going by slow in real life. That <laughs> and here's a great tip. That I try to work on. And so when I'm DMing, I'm always trying to look for things that help drive the narrative yeah. so you don't fall into that mechanics loop. Yeah. When you're taking your turn, something that's just reference another character and what they're doing at some point. Mm-hmm. Even if like it's the start of my turn, I could say something like, all right, while Yotan is firing blindly from behind that little blockade wall at the enemies, I'm going to take this opportunity to run to cover across the room. Mm-hmm. Now, typically people would say, 
I'm going to move over here and I'm going to shoot that guy. Yeah. But all I did was continue. Like think of it like, like volleyball, like you set the ball and now it's my turn and I'll spike it. And then the other team's going to set it like, and that's such a, it creates such a movie scene Yeah. compared to just being like, you know, I'm going to move. I'm gonna oh, for sure. Yeah. Because they're, they're aware. Not only did you say what you're doing, but I reiterated what you're doing and yeah. I think it's awesome. So do that more. <laughs> that's what we do really well though that's why i love this group right so we've learned a lot about the two of you mm-hmm. let's learn a little bit about dr nimi Ooh. About them. very well what is it you wish to know tell me about your character tell us about your character something that's probably not going to come up in the campaign oh i can tell you definitely what i i, I hope you as a dm don't tackle is that uh dr nimi being a cybernetic surgeon has had an obsession with a particular artifact that he's been trying to get his hands on. And it is a cybernetic prosthesis that is the most advanced in the galaxy, by his standards at least. And he desperately wants to obtain it so that he can backwards engineer it and figure out how it works. And that is the dead body of General Grievous. <laughs> so his word had spread throughout like the, the galaxy of the Trade Federation's like general that was part machine I fell in love and I have wanted to do that. Also, I, I, I really want to find a way like his core drive, I think, is to like obviously help people. But through cybernetics, he wants to find a way to make it better because as a, it came from the thought in my mind when I'm looking at the character sheet. And this isn't like a me pandering for you to like give me DM rules. Mm-hmm. But looking at the character sheet, the cybernetic prosthetics all they do is replace your arm and make you one point worse at using the force. Yeah. Which I do get. And I think is kind of cool, but like, it's also a metal arm. <laughs> like, can we pay triple and get plus one strength or something? You know what I mean? Right, right, or like, uh, a plus one to athletics if you have cybernetic legs or something. So I think that was a, a fascination that I had with, uh, cause Grievous has like the multiple arms. Yeah, do do the, Oh, I can think of the name. Uh, the K. Kalish. Do the Kalish have multiple arms? No. So that they I only had two arms. I think that's where it's born from. Is like anytime you see a cybernetic prosthetic, it's like attached to an arm. Yep. So you imagine those nerve endings hooked to electrodes and signals to the prosthetic and move it. But like, does Grievous have extra nerves that weren't being used? Because he can control two hands. I need yeah, to figure it out. Okay. Because if I can do that, what I want to do is build Susie an arm that splits in half and the lightsaber's oh. hidden in the forearm and shoots out, oh, so wow. he can sneak it in places. <laughs> Yeah, not to mention you can't be walking around with a lightsaber in his wrist. It's, as a viewer, it's been driving me goddamn bonkers that he just walks around with his lightsaber all willy-nilly. <laughs> Dave Grohl's like using it like a fucking propeller hat. <laughs> ah, look at me! Oh, I miss yeah. Dave. Oh, me too. Let's go back and get him. We're still here. Mm, we need him. Yeah, we're going back tomorrow. <laughs> we're going to go back for you. Okay. All right. Um, Fen? Fen really wants back what's missing from his house. Oh, right. It's the... Uh, He's not going to say it. Though. Damn it. I thought that was right. <laughs> He's not going to say Shit. it. Shit. That's the him. enigma of Justin. You think you know him. He's not going to say I think it. you're in character. You're just like Andy Kaufman. You're just always in character. <laughs> One day we'll meet the real Justin. Be like, oh my God. So different. Oh my yeah. God. But yeah, he wants that. Um, so he figures. You got, okay. So they're li- everyone here is listening to a podcast about us. Uh-huh. You got to give us something about it. Like what it is? No, you don't need to tell us what it is, but like. Is it something something from your family? Is it like something you stole? Give us a breadcrumb. I think I think these viewers deserve it, right? It could be something stole. Um, It's really important and expensive. 
Ooh, valuable. To the right person. Some might think it's I think he mentioned that before. Someone like, might think it's useful. I think he said it's, it's useless. No, because that's what you said. It's valuable to certain people. Yeah. And we asked if it was the Empire, and I think you said maybe. And we were like, so he's going to sell something to the Empire? If it's General Grievous's body, <laughs> wait, a Bothan spy with something important oh. to the Imperials. What could that be? Is this, I guess if he has it for a while, I didn't think about that. I'm like, it's too early. It's way too early. But it's gone. It's like 15 years too early. It's gone. Yeah, because it's not. I'm, I'm thinking of what it is. Actually, the plans to the partially assembled one. Yeah, it's the plans of the Star. So I'm like, if it was plans of the Death Star, then maybe. Like it's thing. out there. Like I mean, it's almost done now. Is it? It's almost done at the re- end of Revenge of the Sith. The first Shit. They go and look at it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God, I gotta... No, I don't. I was gonna say I have to rewatch it. You can rewatch it. It's okay. Here's the thing. I, I think you need to watch it like a play. Yeah. Where you can be more lenient of the weird Shakespearean choices that they made. No, I love it. We want brothers out of Ken. Yeah. Like, he's a great actor. What is he doing there? Or Natalie Portman? He's working for Lucas. Probably the greatest actor on the planet. I'm probably biased because I just think she's an incredible person. But that, like, everything she says in that movie, it's just, like, she was surprised she said it. Because at this point, Star Wars is the hottest thing on the planet, and no one's willing to say no to Lucas. Yeah. 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 Like, we could probably use another pass or two on this draft. Do you think no, there was another sure. take that was breathtaking and they just didn't use it? <laughs> no, I think you can, can't get into the emotion of everything when you just work in a blue room. Mm. Oh, I didn't... Yeah. yeah. Blue, Fair enough. Or green. Or is it always blue? I, I think for... It was, it was, it was mostly blue. blue. Whatever. Anyway, what I was going to say is that the way you and I and Justin think about the prequel trilogies is not the way people younger than us do. There are people younger us, like that Gen Z, the generation below us, that like that's their Star Wars and they love it and they hate the new stuff. But the prequels are amazing. Mm. (sighs) It just like there's I know I interact with them on Twitter promoting this podcast. There are absolute incongruities that I choose to ignore and acknowledge that they're great movies to all the viewers out there that apparently Zach talks to. They're like, God, we hope Mimi dies soon. That guy's a dick. No, for real, the scroll. I I, like, I still can't. Two Jedi Knights. Nope. You made it one sentence in before you fucked everything. <laughs> Couldn't eat, not even one. Why, like, still to this day, is there an actual answer to why the Trade Federation is blockading trade? Mm. I think it. That's like, like a clear cutting company chaining themselves to a tree. It makes no sense. It was like Amazon tying themselves to a tree. Right. It was <coughs> it was like Amazon blockading um I don't know Target <laughs> and saying right. you can't sell anything unless we're the ones that get to ship it or move it. But they're not even a shipping, they're the oh, That's what they are. They are. They're a shipping company. And they were allowed to get so big that they were allowed to form their own private army. It's like Amazon had a private army. Okay, I guess that kind of makes sense then. I've never understood that. Or more likely Tesla uses its AI and creates an army of battle droids. Oh no. That'd be so cool, though. <laughs> I, I'm also like the most subservient person. So when the world gets taken over, I'm like, yeah, sure. Robots, it no matter. Like, cool. <laughs> what do you want me to do? And think about it. If robots take over, it's not like they're going to use us for labor. Robots would be way better at that shit. Yeah. They would abuse themselves way before they would. Oh, we'd be the Matrix. We're just batteries. Yeah. 
But that's kind of cool. Like, do you, any, do you ever watch no, The Matrix? Not. Did you ever watch The Matrix and wonder, it. like, why did you want out? I, well, I want in because I have depression. That's it. That was the <laughs> sense. Yeah, well, <laughs> like, I don't want to live my existence. Yeah, but depression just got you into, like, an underground yurt village. Well, I think they're, the point of Matrix is about free will and being the one to master your own destiny. I hope to never do that. I know, but we have depression. <laughs> <laughs> My ideal life is if someone's just like, here's the next 50 years. I'm like, holy shit, it's a checklist. This is perfect. <laughs> oh, my God. And that person's my wife, by the way. Totally just. Good. Yes, ma'am. Right away, ma'am. Worked out for you. I'm efficient. So what keeps Fen around the group? Hopes that he'll find what, he want, what he's looking for. So what is he trying to gain through the for, through Susie and the deceased corpse of Photon? The deceased <laughs> What is What is he hoping to gain? Yeah. It's like, um, just a clear path. Just, uh, he feels like following like a Jedi. Okay. Namely, Susie will get him to where he wants to go. And I'd say Fen has a price that he's willing to barter for certain things. Um, <laughs> But so you're saying it's that 42,000 credits we just got. And yeah. It has to be the right price and the deal has to be real sweet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm assuming same question to Nimi. Yeah. So Nimi's driven primarily, I'd say, by curiosity, but not exclusively. He's he is a doctor. Like, I don't know if there's a Hippocratic Oath in Star Wars, but I imagine him having taken one. Okay. Um I'm actually kind of looking forward to some combat for that reason because he's not necessarily going to want to just gun down clones because, like, especially clones because they didn't even sign up for it. They were just grown and thrown into battle. Um, but I don't know. There's still clones in circulation right now? There are still a few. I'm like, I know they switched to Stormtroopers. So Stormtroopers may be a little easier for him to forgive, but he's also furious with the Empire. So first drive, Curiosity. I mean, Susie gives him the means of protection. Uh, Fen, you seem to be incredibly good in combat and running away. Um, Same thing with uh, Crick. I have him around because he can repair ships and he's very loyal thus far. Um, But that's my way to get out there. I was raised like in a tight education back on Naboo. Like my family was noble. So like I flaunt that in people's faces but deep down like i kind of want to get out like i I was super i studied huttese because i was always fascinated with like the hut's ability to endure galactic government right so i want to get out there and see what like the world's really like and help people (laughs) and i want to definitely get back at the empire for making me a slave how old is nimi uh that's a good question i think he's like 35 or 38 or something he's 34 would your family have ever rubbed shoulders with the Amidalas? I mean, I my backstory is that I was my family was wealthy nobles on Naboo. So I honestly would be surprised if they didn't. Because okay. um, it would be. Yeah, I would be probably if I went to school and I assume it's about the same age. Yeah. Yeah. You guys are pretty close. I, I don't think it would. I would not be so audacious to be like, yeah, they came over for dinner all the time. <laughs> but I imagine at some charity event or something, yeah. they were like in the yeah. same room, maybe shook hands. Yeah, cool. That's cool. And Padme winked at me. It was, she was like, mm. <laughs> but I was going through an angsty phase and that's totally her thing. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yes. I walked up to her and I was like, hey girl, 
I want more. And I know I shouldn't. Because <laughs> that's the camera. Pick up line. Do you like sand? Oh, yeah, it gets everywhere. You ever watched a dude levitate a peach and cut it with no resistance? So creepy. That scene with the peach. The, 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 like the last half of that movie is pretty creepy. Oh, and then picturing it. Yeah. My, <laughs> mind, my mind went through the whole evening just now, and that's why I zoned out. I'm like, ugh. Do you think Jedi's like float during sex? I, or do they float not. her? You know what? Maybe. Stanley Portman hating Christians. It's not the worst thing to imagine. Don't they mostly have a celibacy thing? Other than apparently Obi-Wan? Yeah. Well, and Anakin. I think it's about possession. Right. But you think so, they still get to do the deed? That's interesting. I think so. As long as I'm not, as long as it's just a one night stand, I'm not emotionally attached to her or them. You're right. The emotional attachment might be the catch. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting question. Probably not. Oh, yeah. Based on the reaction to Anakin getting Padme pregnant, probably not. Oh, Obi Wan's done the deed. It's implied in Clone Wars that he fell in love with a woman from Mandalore. I can't think of her name. She's in the yes, Mandalore. Her name. It's the redhead. Yep, I'll get it. Oh, I'm not going to get it. I can't want to see Book Tam. It's not her. It's, uh, oh, no, it's not Book Tam. It's Book Tam's sister. Oh. The blonde. Oh, yeah. Sister, I think. They're definitely like related or something. Shit. Oh, stumped live on the air. Edit it out. <laughs> I'm not shit. shit. As soon as we're done. Nah. Good. I'm not even half invested in every question from here on out. Jesus. Well, I think that's about all the time we have for today. Perfect, because I'm in agony trying. As soon as you cut this off, I'm going to guess it, and no one's going to believe that. Oh, no. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back next week with Chapter 17. We had 17 already? When I'm in need of clean energy and laser focus, I take a moment to meditate, reaching out to ghost energy. Have no fear. I'm here to provide you the focus and energy you seek. Take this can of Strabango Margarita ghost energy and fulfill your destiny. My goodness. This divine liquid is clear, and its flavor is superb. Is it truly vegan and gluten-free? Indeed, young one. Is it true that it has zero sugar? Not a sugar to find. It also lists a multitude of nutritious vitamins. That can't be possible. But it is... Ghost energy is transparent in their labeling, making it clear to the people what they are drinking. Then I shall meditate more often, for I shall see myself wanting more. It is much easier than that, child. You can find it in stores near you, and find a link in the show notes of Nightfall episodes for a 20% discount on ghost energy products.